Today we're here with Dr. Andrew Billings and we are here to discuss the power of public speaking. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Thanks for uh, coming down to meet with me. My pleasure. It's a wonderful campus to be on. Very beautiful day. Yes. <laughs> I want to uh, start out just by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you got to here. Yeah, no, I, uh, I grew up in, in small town Indiana, LaGrange, Indiana, and uh, gradually have been working my way south. So I went to school <laughs> at Indiana University, got all three of my degrees there. Yeah. Uh, and I've been a professor for 20 years, uh, 12 years at Clemson University in South Carolina and eight years now here at the University of Alabama. Okay, so you keep getting into a warmer climate, not a bad plan. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I, I, I figure we might retire in Miami by the time we're done, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, but no, this, this has been very good for us. I'm in a, uh, uh, I'm still in communication. I'm in a media department now, uh, journalism and creative media, but it still all ties together with that, mm -hmm. that core interest in how we communicate, what we communicate, what's the impact of that communication. So what was the moment, the event, what the just general upbringing that led you to be interested uh, in, for our concerns, public speaking, but in general communication? Sure, uh, well, you know, um, like I said, it was a small town. I went to Lakeland High School and back then it had maybe 600 students, which, you know, was combining a number of different towns into one just to get that. Mm -hmm. um, and we weren't the greatest at sports in the state or anything, but we were one of the best speech teams in the country, or in the, in the state, I should say. And uh, um, so all of a sudden I was a freshman, I was realizing that I wasn't gonna grow beyond the 6'1 stature and maybe basketball wasn't gonna be the answer. Um, I was okay at sports, but I was looking for other activities and here was this speech team that had roughly 10% of the school's population on it. There were 60 wow. people on a speech team in a small town in Indiana. And uh, they had different events and things and the one that really appealed to me the most was called Original Oratory and it's simply write a five to 10 minute speech on anything you want and, uh, and sell it. Mm -hmm. And uh, that appealed to me. Like, you're telling me I get this platform to talk to people, to potentially persuade people, to get them to think about something they hadn't thought about before. And the next thing you know, that, that became, I, and I was bad my first year. I mean, truly bad. Um, but I wanted to get better. Um, I thought it was interesting. I could, I could identify who was winning and why. Mm -hmm. And so gradually that led to me doing it more in high school, which led to my competing on the speech team at Indiana University. And uh, that became the formative moment for me. I mean, it really was, I know Malcolm Gladwell got famous talking about, you know, how these outliers get 10,000 hours mm -hmm. of training in something, you know, and the Beatles were playing this many hours a night. Um, I don't claim to remotely be at Beatles level of public speaking, but I got better at it and right. I did get roughly 10,000 hours of training in that various capacity to the point that I felt very comfortable and felt it was at least a plus rather than a minus for me. Right. And that really opened up many doors in a variety of ways. So you really saw 
the value of that, not only for yourself, but for others going into the education of that? Oh my gosh. I mean, you know, yeah, I was on the speech team in Indiana for four years and then I coached for four years. And mm. so you see the light bulb moments for people. And I would see people who, you know, sometimes they just love speaking and that's mm -hmm. what they were born to do. And other times it's like, I want to get over this fear. Um, but what we consistently would find was these people were then rising quickly through their jobs. They mm -hmm. were they were excelling in ways uh, that I, I couldn't find any other cohort, even an honors college, that would excel in that way. I mean, you know, at Indiana, you know, future governors were on that team. Uh, Tavis Smiley at uh, BET. Oh. Uh, you know, there were people who got their training and now we've got people who are uh, professors at prominent universities uh, we've got people with uh, TED talks that have millions of views we have all sorts of people who are really excelling uh, well beyond I think what even that degree uh, would probably have done for them and the right. key component was always public speaking right well speaking of a TED talk I saw a TEDx talk that yeah uh, you did, and in that you talked about how, uh, talking about the 28 courses that you take over the course of high school education, not one of them tends to be any sort of oral communication, even though that is so important and that is what employers are looking for. Why do you think that is? There's a number of reasons. I think it applies both at the high school and the college level. Uh, college, you tend to at least get an oral communication competency that you require. Uh, high school, usually not. Um, sometimes it's offered as an option, mm -hmm. but it's, it's not there. Uh, so you try and think of where is higher ed going right now, or where is even secondary ed at the local level going right now. And so lots of questions are, how do we build this to scale? Mm -hmm. How can we uh, serve more people in a single class, right? How can we have massive class uh, attendance or, or uh, enrollment. Uh, number two, uh, can we put it online? And number three, how do we assessment? Well, each of those there are some problems for public speaking. You know, number one, it's very hard to build it to scale. If a, if a teacher decides, even in high school where they meet for, let's say, 45 minutes, mm -hmm. um, five days a week, even if they have, you know, uh, 25 students in the classroom, what they're basically committing to if they have, you know, six minute speeches is I'm going to take an entire week right. out of this just to do the speaking part, not even the training yeah. for the speaking part. And so it eats up a lot of time. You can't really build it to scale. Uh, online, you, you know, we've had some progress with at least doing the training part online, but still that core assessment you can't do. Uh, because you know we, we would you know we will even explore possibilities of well video yourself giving a speech and then send it and right. we will assess it. Well, there's a couple things there. It's still not generally in front of strangers. It mm -hmm. might be in front of friends, yeah. and there isn't that one take right. nature of it. Yeah, one you know, the shot. fact that you could uh, do this 25 times and take your favorite take is not the way you do a job interview. It's no. not the way you interact with most people. You get one shot. And even if you're inarticulate, 
um, as I'll be even in this podcast, at least you try to think there's more positives than negatives and leave an overall favorable impression. And then the assessment is that third part that's difficult because we want to have a national assessment for everything. You know, we want to have a way, uh, whether it's No Child Left Behind or ACT, SAT, mm-hmm. we want to have some way to do that and think about the amount of time it would take to watch speeches and to assess them. But right. think of what the value, you know, all three of those things are not arguments not to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are arguments for why it'll be tough to do it. Yeah. But no one's making that argument you shouldn't or it wouldn't be a great idea. The problem is how do you build it to scale? How do you assess it? Right. Uh, something that just came to mind uh, in my hometown of Louisville, Kentucky, Jefferson County Public Schools have started something called their JCPS Backpack Initiative. And with this, they talk about core competencies that they want from K through 12 students to carry with them to the next grade. Uh, sort of validate their progression forward and eventually through graduation. As they do this, at the end of each calendar year of school, they give a presentation to talk about these pieces. Right. It's almost like a portfolio, but it's a little broader than that. It could be any type of project, not just writing. And they put on a presentation to really justify why they gained the core competencies that they had. Do you think that something like that could be sort of maybe a bridge from where we are now to this being a requirement uh, to graduate in sort of infusing that into the everyday what we're doing? I think that kind of thing is what you really need. You Mm -hmm. don't want recitations. Even if they get to write their own speeches many times, they're reading it word for word. So if they're integrating or applying it and saying, here's what I learned and trying to build, you know, uh, persuading is a step more than informing in terms of not just, okay, here's the issue, but here's what I want you to think, Mm -hmm. do, not do, whatever it is on that. And so if they're making a persuasive case, um, that can be very useful. And I guess on the, on the flip side, when teachers say I'm losing this much class time, what we tend to find is they can do a lot of their grading while the speech is going on. So it's less take-home work. Right. Uh, so part of that can balance out in some ways. True. Uh, but yeah, I think anything that gets people up in front of an audience and trying to articulate, here's why I have value or here's what I have learned, mm-hmm is where we have to be because making a case for yourself is something that I think students are increasingly struggling with. You know, they'll they'll have a great website, they'll have a interesting Instagram feed, whatever it is, and they lots of times falsely think, well, it's good, someone will just find it. Right. And uh, no, you've gotta be able to make the case, you gotta be able to sell it, you've gotta be able to uh, do that one-on-one type communication even that you get right. from conversations like this one. That reminds me of a, a line from your, your TED talk as well and it stuck with me. Your knowledge could be all dressed up and nowhere to go if you're not able to communicate that. What we're finding especially now, you know, we have a lot of grant work, you know, research grants that happen mm-hmm. in, in colleges and universities and uh, where oral communication fits in or really communication in general is that final step. You know, you can, you can say, oh my gosh, here's what we found about, you know, kids and obesity or whatever the topic is. Right. 
but you've got to have that ability to say okay what do we do with that how do we sell that to uh parents to right. schools to kids mm -hmm. uh, in a way that they understand and so once again it becomes that final step right because otherwise um gosh even our teachers right now often have great information but they don't have any sense of how to organize it how to make it relatable and it becomes drudgery right well i mean looking at how important that is to even introduce this type of education earlier than college higher ed. Yeah. Why do you think some institutions are pulling the public speaking requirement out of their core curriculum? Well, like we said, you know, it's 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 a matter of scale. Right. Uh, you know, so there's some classes you can put hundreds of people in there. Mm -hmm. You can do an A B C D multiple choice exam, and you can move students in, and that's much more cost efficient. The other thing that I think matters on, that I haven't brought up yet at virtually every level mm -hmm. is we need more teachers right. in that area. So for instance, when I was at Indiana University, I wanted to be, you know, undergrad, I said, okay, I want to be a speech and theater mm -hmm. teacher. And uh, the argument was, okay, well, you're not gonna be able to teach all classes in that, so you have to have a side hustle, right? You know, so uh, most of the time that was English. Mm -hmm. So you do English with a side of speech and theater. Well, then when it came down to a methods class, they had the, here's how you teach math. And they had, here's how you teach English. They did not have, here's how to teach public speaking. Right. And ultimately I worked with a professor, uh, Charles Taylor, who we collectively put together a class that would then be offered there to train people. Oh, wow. uh, but still it's it's that it's that stepchild situation so you know if you have yeah you know, if you say we are going to require this at the high school level you've got to have thousands of teachers who actually know what they're doing and don't just say okay instead of writing this paper you're going to speak it which is nice but you aren't really training them and mm -hmm. it's good to get them up on their feet and speaking right but ideally, to make it a positive experience, you talk about everything from how to organize your thoughts to how to persuade, uh, to how to use visual aids, to how to have vocal articulation. So it's a positive experience as opposed to a dreadful one, which might make them never want to do this again. Right, which is what comes to mind when everyone thinks public speaking. Right, you know, <laughs> if you don't give them any training and the teacher doesn't really know yeah. how to provide that training, um, kind of like you know a football team where the coach doesn't know how to draw up plays or tell people how to play positions it's gonna be horrible right you're not gonna like playing football <laughs> or watching it right uh, so I think more and more people are thinking well I, I don't need that as much as I used to because I'm gonna be behind a computer all day yeah, I, I mean, what we found, I think it was about five years ago, we saw a study that said 7% of all communication is online. And it just stunned people. I'm like, well, <laughs> how often do you really place your restaurant order online? Yeah, we can do that now. That's true. And we couldn't before, but you're still largely ordering in person. And you're still, um, you're still trying to resolve a lot of your conflicts, hopefully in person. I right. guess there's there's this myth of, of digital efficiency uh, that at least I've found um, lots of times you know you can have 18 different text messages between you and a friend to ultimately decide yes I'm gonna go out for tacos with you on Tuesday 
and it would have just been easier to have a conversation. And that's why most people still do. Right. That's, uh, that's still why we find those things most meaningful. Yeah. Um, there are very few people who say, oh gosh, I remember that Friday night that we stayed up <laughs> Snapchatting each other. Yeah. Um, it tends to still be that the memories, the, thing, the ways that we find meaning are through actual human interaction. And that's what we value. Right. Yeah. That's true. And you don't really necessarily think how public speaking can lead to improvement in communication across the board, interpersonally and even right here doing a podcast interview. Oh, it's everything. It is, it is uh, you know, if you have an issue with your hotel reservation, do you mm-hmm. feel comfortable yeah. um, telling the hotel, here's my issue? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I have had to recently, we, you know, we've been working through some issues in our church. And so to be able to stand up and make a case for one side right. is public speaking at its finest. It's being able to sit at a table and not, not you know, it's not that how to win friends and influence people, but how to at least make my best case. So mm-hmm. even if you disagree with it you at least understand where I'm coming from. Right. And that's what we don't have in our politics a lot right now. Mm-hmm. That's the way we discuss a lot of things is very performative. And when people say they want to have a conversation about the issue, they don't mean they want to have a conversation. It means right. I want you to hear me. Mm-hmm. And that's not what public speaking or oral communication should be teaching. There's that feedback and that right. back and forth that hopefully we can train people to be more literate on that, both in media and outside of it. Right. So going off of that, that whether it is the majority or not, communication is changing. Uh, It's becoming more digital. You may, instead of being able to come and do an in-person interview like this, maybe you do a video conference. Right. Do you think the rise of these types of technology is changing how, especially the younger generations, are communicating? day in and day out. Oh yeah, yeah, I I think they are, and especially we talk about the attention span being minimized Mm -hmm. in a number of ways, and that's certainly true. Right. Um, It makes it much harder than when you need to do something more extended. So I'll concede, for instance, and I do with my classes now, one activity I have uh, my doctoral students do is they'll do a Skype interview with me. Mm And they'll say, well, why not just do it in person? We're all right here. I'm like, well, chances are the company, mm-hmm. you know, is going to start with a Skype now because they don't want to go through the hassle. Invest the time. I invest the time yeah. and the resources and all that until they know you can do that. Um, it's amazing to some of them how long 20 minutes is. Oh. <laughs> just for a back and forth conversation because they're so used to, well, I I post this on Snap or Leave whatever it, out it is. There, and, yeah. uh you know, no one's going to watch 20 minutes, so I do 15 seconds. Right. Um, so it's it's definitely a different mindset there. Right. Um, but getting people comfortable with that, um, that not only does it not have to be something you flee from, but it's something you could enjoy. Right. Uh, is mm-hmm. it, That's a whole different battle. You know, there's a lot of people who are like, I'd just like this to be tolerable. And that's a fine first step, but then actually, if you can say, gosh, I would like to have an actual conversation about this. This could be good. Mm -hmm. That's gonna be more productive than trying to resolve something over email or text or any of that. When you get into that frame of mind, that's when you start to get that, take that feedback and understand that it's a dialogue and you're not just throwing your side of the uh, 
uh, right. conversation out there. <laughs> right. You know, you're not compromise or you're you're not selling out. You're compromising. You're trying to right. come to some level of agreement. And uh, um, I think there's more desire just because we feel so uncomfortable with interpersonal disagreement in person mm-hmm. uh, that we're apt to be a little bit more reasonable. Right. Uh, than in our online persona or something like that. Certainly, I think we see that in our politics. You know, yeah. uh, to you know, call one side a label or a name um, is one thing, but to do it to their face, right, is something else. And I think there's still something human about that that can be a, a path forward uh, when we feel very divided. Very true. Very good way of thinking about it. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned being on the uh, a competition team yes. for speaking. Mm-hmm. Beside uh, maybe something like that or a formal uh, course in communication, what are ways for the professional out there that wants to improve their communication and speaking ability, what are some things that they can do? Well, I mean, uh, there's chances are there's more than just you. So you can cluster with friends, with you know whatever it is, and say we are going to work on this. Uh, there's still the group Toastmasters that get together and give speeches for each other uh, simply to try and get better as a group there. Right. Educationally, there's a couple of different strategies that people sometimes diverge on. Uh, so one is that formal oral communication class. We even diverge on that too, uh, which I understand why, but you know, there's the formal public speaking, stand up and speak, mm-hmm. as opposed to I want you to be able to articulate yourself, but you don't have to stand to do it. Or it could be corporate communication that is oral in nature or something like that. Um, There are different strategies beyond that too. For, For instance, in higher ed, there's different acronyms for things. So we have CAC, which is communication across the curriculum. Mm -hmm. There's WAC, which is writing across the curriculum. Mm -hmm. There's WID, writing in the disciplines. And there's CAD, which is communication across the disciplines. Uh, All of those can serve a good purpose here. You just have to think about what that purpose is. So the debate many times is, well, we're not going to require a public speaking class, say, of an engineer. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to require one of their engineering class to have oral communication as part of it. Right. Um, I know when I was at Clemson University, for instance, I think of as architecture that had three courses that each were one-third oral communication. Mm. So it was like you got 10 weeks of instruction and then five weeks of how to put that in action. The catch was, and why it was useful, was they then hired out a communication lecturer Mm -hmm. who would come in and teach those five-week modules. So you had someone with actual background expertise in communication, not just the subject at hand, right. to do it. And I think that's that's really where I come down on it too, is, you know, my classes have math in them, they have writing in them, whatever it is. I would never make the argument that they should replace a core math requirement or a core English requirement or something like that. No, we're trying to synthesize this in some way. So you want to have a base, and I think it's important to take it early, uh, whether it's public speaking or oral communication in some form, and then you want to learn, you know, step two is applying that base in a variety of contexts. Um, I don't think it's even unreasonable, you know, here for instance we have public speaking and we have advanced public speaking. Mm -hmm. 
now many times people think that means advanced public speaking is for the people who are really good at it. Mm -hmm. uh, but really it's basically public speaking too. Mm -hmm. It's for people who want more of it. And uh, that really helps set you out. Yeah, I mean, it's really about taking the time to do it. Right. And that's probably one of the biggest issues I think we have with public speaking right now is if you have a speech assigned for class, and I had this when I taught public speaking, oh my gosh, I'd have this a lot. They're like, I, I don't understand what went wrong. Mm -hmm. um, I got a D on this and I practiced it three times. I'm like, well, it's a six minute speech. You know, so this would be the equivalent of you saying, well, I don't know what went wrong on this exam. I studied for 18 minutes. Right. And, uh, and when you look at it that way, you start to think, well, of course, oh, yeah. it, didn't, it didn't come through there. But in people's minds, they're like, well, yeah, I'll run through it once. I'll do this. You know, it'll be I like fine. that. I've never really thought about it in that context. Either. Yeah. Uh, well, and being an engineer who actually voluntarily went on to take the advanced course uh, because I was getting a lot out of it. I yeah. think it's another one of those things, it's cliche, but the more you put into it, the more you're going to get back out of it. The actual doing it right. is what matters. Um, I, I mean, there, there was one category I remember in uh, high school competition mm -hmm. uh, that was radio, mm. which was, and you, I, I forget, I never did it, but you know, each round was something different. Like once it was a you read an editorial, and mm -hmm. once I think it was a commercial, and it was basically training for radio, and you would be alone in a room, and your judge would just, wouldn't even know what you looked like, they'd just hear your voice. Oh, wow. And you'd be handed that, uh, that editorial to read on the spot. Mm. And tons of people would do it, because it sounded fun. Mm -hmm. uh, but the same person was winning every week. Mm. And then uh, I asked someone, you know, what was going on there, everyone else, was too embarrassed, I guess, to be in a room full of other people and to read theirs out loud. Mm. This guy was speaking out loud to a wall immediately as many times as he could to the point that for him it was like, you know, from the time he got it preparing, he was doing it for the 14th time where someone else was reading it out loud maybe for the second. Right. And there was no comparison. So it, this reminds me all of, um, I wanted to mention kind of as a preview too to our next mm -hmm. episode, uh, going back to even the high school education of oral, oral communication in high school. Uh, we're going to have an episode coming soon with some individuals in uh, Illinois that are working with their state senate to try to pass a bill that would, uh, as far as I understand it, and they may uh, be able to give us better detail, no doubt, than right. I can right now, but to include oral communication as an option uh, for high school students to graduate. And I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. I feel like I know what you're going to say, mm -hmm. but I wanted to... I, I think it's a good first step. The catch is when you list it as an option, then you're going to get the people who want to opt in. Um, and you lose some of the people who think they've got it covered and mm -hmm. don't. And there's That's a true. lot of people who think they've got it covered and don't. Uh, I still remember when we were lobbying for oral communication to stay in general education at Clemson. Um, there was a professor in the hard sciences arguing against it and he stood up and said, um, all I needed to learn about oral communication, I learned in the back of a 57 Chevy. <laughs> and he just proved his 
point for us that he thought he was a great communicator and here he was doing something completely uh, inappropriate for the circumstance showing he didn't have the communication skills he needed you know so no i think it's great if illinois is looking at doing that mm -hmm. uh you've got to make sure you've got the teachers who are you know have have a curriculum that they're trying to advance with it right. uh, because it might be that they weren't trained in public speaking mm -hmm. in college uh, but it's a great first step and boy can you imagine if you got to the point where every single student in a given state had to have an oral communication course um, I think that becomes the laboratory mm -hmm. for the nation if you say why is it that these students from this uh, school or from the state always seem to be doing well here right and you can start to say maybe, maybe it's that I remember, I mean, this was maybe 15 years ago, back when laptops were not standard for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think it was the state of West Virginia that said, okay, we're gonna put a laptop in the hand of every, I think, sixth grader mm -hmm. or older. Digital literacy went way up. And all of a sudden then, you know, that notion of West Virginia not being in touch mm -hmm. with innovation or technology started to get thrown out the window and there were a whole lot more people who were a step ahead in a variety of ways. That's what Illinois could do with oral communication. That's what, I, I mean, imagine if there were a university that said, we don't care that we can't scale it, but we're gonna require not one, but two oral communication courses of every single student. Right. Or we're gonna do a true communication across the curriculum, and we're gonna make sure that they have oral communication requirements in a variety of contexts. Lots of schools, piecemeal that a little bit uh, but to truly have it infused where you just say oh I know what goes on there right uh, you know where you just where people know uh, for instance I work in sports media now mm -hmm. um, people know hopefully if an Alabama person's in the stack like okay they come in with the following skill set but uh, Syracuse or Northwestern. Mm -hmm. Those are schools that are known for, oh, okay, we know they're getting the skills they need. We know they can thrive in this environment. Same thing could happen for, for oral communication. Very interesting to think what the possibilities could be on a broad scale like that. It sounds old school, and yet it's incredibly new school when you really look at it. Uh, the more things move to technology, the more vital the non-technology parts become because they become harder for people to do. Uh, you know, there's a whole lot of teenagers right now who go out with friends and don't know how to talk as a group and they sit, you know, there'll be four 13-year-olds sitting at a table each looking at their phone rather than talking to each other because they aren't quite sure what to do. Right. We gotta have that. Uh, I don't think, you know, constant screens for all our communication is the future. We still have to have that human connection. Well, that may be what you'd like to leave, but I was gonna ask you as we wrap up here, is there anything you'd like to leave with uh, our audience here? And it's, uh, there's students in the audience, there's other educators in the audience, professionals. Uh, yeah, um, I, I think it's, it's simply that notion, I guess I mentioned this in the, in the TEDx talk, um, I do think public speaking is the magic bullet. I really do think, you know, uh, for that parent who is trying to find a way, how does my, you know, how does my child stand out? Uh, you know, how do you, how do you in a 
group where 4.0 GPAs are all over the place? How do you really right. stand out and get that job or that promotion or that scholarship? And the answer is public speaking. Can you get in a room and articulate yourself? What do you value? What, what matters to you? Mm -hmm. If you can do that, I don't care what the field is, um, I think you've got a really bright future. You can open doors. Absolutely. As for me. Well, I really appreciate your perspective and hearing your story, and thank you for taking the time out uh, to speak with us. Happy to do it. It's been my pleasure. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Tyler.